Hello, and welcome to another Good News Podcast featuring the one, the only, the wonderful David McMinn from Rockbridge Church. What's up, everybody? This is uh, Austin Taylor once again, the uh, Director of Worship Arts at Good News United Methodist Church. And today, what a you and- title. I like your title. Yeah, you know, someone else gave it to me. I've had like six titles, but that's the one I've liked the most. Uh, I think that one's the best one for sure. It has the most keywords in it, I think, which is good for a resume, you know? Yeah, I think it, I think it encompasses more of, of the Renaissance man that is Austin Taylor. Yeah, you know, I like the arts aspect. I got to include that. Uh, well, today we are continuing our How Sweet the Sound series, uh, talking about very famous, well-known, popular, and beloved hymns. And unfortunately, once again, we don't have Trevor with us today. He had something come up and, and couldn't be here. Uh, we are actually re-recording this because I lost the audio for the first one. <laughs> so we're having a new conversation about it. So uh, unfortunately, Trevor... Audio, our technology has not been Austin's friend over the past week. No, I have... It's been really frustrating. I, I've had almost a complete breakdown over it. It was so frustrating. So hopefully this is good to go and we'll get this up and everything will be okay. Um, but today we are talking about another amazing hymn. And it's one that uh, actually in the past couple months I've come to really love and appreciate for a variety of reasons. I've encountered it and derivatives of it uh, a lot. And it is What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So Austin, you know when you Google lyrics or what a friend we have in Jesus, do you know the first version that pops up? I do because I actually have it up on my Google's results right now. I just Googled it's it. It's your buddy Alan Jackson. It's Alan Jackson. Oh no. Oh gosh, I can't run. I can't hide. He just comes after me. The uh, sweet melodious voice of Alan Jackson. Yeah, and, and if you haven't heard our It Is Well with, or sorry, uh, Amazing Grace episode, come to think of it, of how sweet the sound, uh, that is, I, I tell a story, I share a story with Trevor and David about uh, my, uh, it's just a, it's just a good story, I think, and it was a very embarrassing moment for me, and uh, it very heavily involved Alan Jackson, so, so once again, listen, yeah. we encounter him. What's that? Go Go listen. Would you say at this point that Alan Jackson is your nemesis? It's hard to claim that Alan Jackson, of all people, is my <laughs> nemesis. <laughs> I mean, first off, I'm not one to have any of those, but also that's just an absurd kind of thing. Uh, Alan Jackson, uh, I'll get you one of these days. Oh, man. I guess you could say that. I don't know. It depends on what your definition of nemesis is. Why don't we hop into the... Co- I could I could go on this all day because I'm a talkative guy. Why don't we hop into uh, a little bit about what a friend we have in Jesus. It's a song that a lot of us know and have heard um, and have encountered in, in a variety of different spaces. But I'm not sure we all know the story of the song, how it came about, who writ it. Writ it? I just said writ it. Writ it. Who wrote it? Uh, and... Uh, why the words carry so much meaning? What what caused the person to write this? So, David, would you mind sharing a little bit about the history of the song? What a friend we have in Jesus was written by a man named Joseph Scriven from Ireland, and he really one person said he was someone who had uh, the prospect of being a great citizen. You know, he was in the process of getting his education, and he fell in love with a young lady, and uh, she fell off her horse and died. And and you can imagine, I mean. 
that what what that would be like um just right before they were supposed to be married uh, i think the day before she was they were supposed to be married yeah the day before their wedding she fell off a horse while crossing a river bridge um river bridge <laughs> man we are we are on it with our words today yeah um, we are. We're, we're on our game a bridge over the river band and she drowned in the water and um and joseph actually witnessed this and so that was kind of the first thing and then so he he began to wander and travel he moved to canada and was just really highly regarded he was a tutor he would help people he would do just kind acts you know living out his faith uh, with actions of like chopping wood for people who needed it not for not for gain but just just because you you know that's what he called to do and he fell in love with another woman, Elisa Roach, and they were going to get married, and she died of pneumonia before she wed. So this is a man who experienced great tragedy. And then not too long after that, he he actually got sick himself, and uh, he wrote the words to what a friend we have in Jesus as a poem to his mom to help her kind of understand and or I, I guess deal with the, the possible tragedy of his death. And, and so these words come from a place of, uh, you know, he's experienced the depth of sorrow and the depth of pain. And another thing about Joseph is that he wrote 111 hymns over his life or more than that. And he actually, when, when he, he passed away at 66 and he himself drowned and he, they don't know if it was a suicide. And so someone even that has the depth of faith that he had, having gone through a lot of things, he also struggled with things like depression and suicide and uh, you know, which is we, we sometimes think that just because people have a great faith that they may not struggle with, with depression or with suicidal thoughts, but really it can be anybody, no matter how great your faith is. And so his words, this is a person who really dealt with a lot of, a lot of pain and suffering. And so his words bring a lot of comfort. Yeah. I mean, I'm immediately reminded of the biblical story of Jeremiah who was entirely faithful during his life and had nothing good ever happen to him mm-hmm. to the point where he wrote uh, an entire, I mean, the book of Lamentations is Jeremiah's cry out to God, like, why the heck does nothing good ever happen to me? Um, which I think is kind of poetic and beautiful in its own right, but that definitely makes me think of uh, of Joseph Scrivens and uh, this whole story. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of loss and pain. Um, and an entire life full of it more than someone should ever bear. So that is really tragic uh, and also lends itself to some powerful. I mean, this is powerful that he wrote this song ever. And his answer is, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You know, all what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. And he, he that's but the line he keeps coming back to is to take everything to God in prayer. That's powerful stuff. It's a level of communion that's pretty, pretty awesome with God. And where where many people, when they are going through tragedy or heartache or, or death or whatever in their life, they run away from God. And his response was, "No, we need to run towards God." Absolutely, that's powerful. And uh, I mean, I I think it's, I think it's pretty poetic. Uh, also, the idea of Jesus being a friend. Um, it's pretty awesome perspective of God that I don't think we often lean into as well. So just the, the language and title of that as uh, not necessarily crying out to God as uh, as this almighty father, but 
going to a friend with heartache and pain okay. is kind of the perspective that he had. Like I would to you or you would to me or someone else, you know? Yeah. Which is a, a quote from scripture, John fifteen fifteen that I no longer call you servants. Instead, I called you friends. So Jesus, this is, this is what Jesus says to the disciples in his farewell discourse of John. And he really wants us to have that relationship of, of friends, um, not just people who go to God out of obedience, but in that relationship as a friend. Yeah, and I think that displays a level of intimacy that we don't often talk about in at least the settings I'm accustomed to in churches. Um, this is one thing that, as I've been encountering this song a lot, recently it's been in gospel music uh, and various artists that I listen to in that realm that are mm -hmm. coming at it from a history that, I mean, the history of gospel music is entrenched with deep sorrow and pain and suffering and oppression. And uh, to have that kind of intimacy with God is, is a perspective that is very transformative for me because I'm not accustomed to that. When I think intimacy with God, I often immediately go to intimacy with the creator, intimacy with um, some huge almighty being that is coming down to my level. But to be able to view Jesus as someone that is on my side and is right alongside me, next to me, same height, same level kind of thing, and be able to turn and just turn to them as that being the intimacy, that is... is uh, to me, like transformative in terms of how I can view and, and and see God in my own life, and in particular the figure of Jesus. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that that needs to be part of our prayer life, you know. And and again, that was Joseph Scriven's answer was to you can go to God in these situations because God is literally walking there with you. You're not experiencing these on your own. And and I think people struggle with a, with prayer because either they think God is unapproachable or they don't know what to say, or they think they have to have the right, uh, or, or they're, they're going to, out of obedience, right? So it's, but here, if I have a friend, you know, Austin, I, I consider you a friend, and I want to talk to you. I want to hang out with you, right? That's something that, because we are friends, we want to spend time together. So it's not this, oh, man, I have to do my prayer time, but it should be, man, I'm in awe that, that this one who is the most powerful being in all of creation is also a human who wants to have a relationship with you. And that's the mindset that we need to have as we as we go to God in prayer. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, I mean, that's actually something I've... Uh, my fiancé had a profound impact on my prayer life when I heard her pray for the first time because I noticed that she started every prayer with, Hey, God. Uh, which is possibly the most informal way you could possibly imagine to pray to the Lord of all creation. You know, like, right. <laughs> what's up, God? Right, right. Hey, what's going on, man? That kind of thing. Uh, just, hey, God. And then she'd launch into whatever she wanted to pray about. And mm -hmm. uh, to to her credit, that really changed the way that I uh, approached prayer because it made it so much less formal it made it less of an obligation that I had to, some expectation I had to perform to, and more like a conversation that uh, underneath that is where intimacy is formed and where connection is grounded. 
Um, so that's, to me, something that's been really powerful as well, is to have that take shape in the language that I use to pray, um, for sure. But what does that what does that look like for us to, uh, I guess that's the big topic for today, as we lean into this language of uh, taking things to God in prayer that Joseph Scrivens mm-hmm. is talking about in this hymn. Uh, what does it mean for us to develop that habit? and to develop the way that looks in our life, to develop intimacy with God through prayer. It's really redefining religion and faith in many ways, because so often religion was about appeasing some angry God. And that's why we, we would pray. That's why we would sacrifice. That's why we would do these things, right? Because we don't want God to be mad at us so that we can have a fruitful life. But this is like, no, go to God as a friend with intimacy. And that doesn't mean we don't have, I mean, we still need to have respect and awe of who God is. Right. And to find that tension of, of, of to say, I realize that you're the creator of the universe, but I also realize that you want to be my friend and, and we can have that intimacy. And really one of the empowering things is the fact that we have God residing in us, residing in us as the Holy spirit empowering us. And so we have a direct line, a direct connection to God that before Jesus didn't exist in me, that we, because of the Holy Spirit, we have that direct line. So this song and and, re- and really Jesus' is teaching about our access to God completely revolutionizes prayer, uh, you know, uh, sacrifice, worship, because, again, it's not so much, okay, here's a deity that might be mad at me. I need to perform the proper ritual, uh, but more of like, here's a deity that wants to have a relationship with. Yeah. I mean, I'm a worship leader, so obviously I think of songs when you start talking theology like that. And I think of a a song called Simple Gospel that we've done before uh, by United Pursuit that uh, talks about laying down religion to know God more. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of, that sounds like it's what you're talking about. Would you say that's kind of accurate? Yeah. Or even redefining religion, but it's Mm -hmm. the same thing. Absolutely. We need to I think a lot of Christians have in mindset the angry God that we need to appease, you know, when really, if you look at the story of of scripture, the angry God takes the punishment on God, on Jesus, right? Jesus takes that punishment. And so rather than the wrath of God coming on us, that already, Jesus already appeased the wrath. Um, And so we're, 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 we got to get rid of that mindset of religion and think that, uh, which, which again is not an excuse to sin, but that that's not what God wouldn't go to the, the depths of sending his son to the earth and dying for our sins just so that we can continue to appease God. It's a loving relationship. God is love and it's us to love God and love neighbor. And, and that, you know, I, I do think it's important that we realize that doesn't mean we can do whatever we want just because God loves us. You know, sin is reality and we have to, uh, we have to, to try to live sin-free lives as best we can. And and part of prayer is even going to God with confession and saying, I, uh, I messed up and, and I need your forgiveness. Yeah. You know, confession, that's part of a model that I was taught at one point for prayer. Mm-hmm. I think it's, is it called the acts model? Have you heard of that? Yeah. So that, that's kind of like, as you learn about prayer, of course, we eventually want to get to that deep conversational level where, we're just praying all the time. Uh, but, you know, when we're doing the kind of formalized prayer, and I think even if, if you're in that conversational pray without ceasing mode, 
it's still good to have like that dedicated prayer time, scripture time. And one of the models is called Acts, which is adoration, which is our love for God, confession, thanksgiving, which is incredibly important to give thanks to God. And then we go to God in supplication, which is offering ourselves and praying for other people. I think a lot of times prayer, people think prayer is just simply asking God for things. Like God's some sort of vending machine and we can just put our prayer in and get whatever we want. But but that's the last and least important part of prayer. The most important part is the relationship part. Hmm. So you're saying that uh, this confession part is something that can be particularly hard or particularly hard or absent in our prayer lives? Yeah, and I, I think so. And I, and I think, I don't know if you remember Austin, and, and maybe it had changed by the time you were coming up in the church. Uh, but when I was growing up, there was a, a reticence to talk about sin because we were afraid that we might scare people away or, you know, we didn't want to think people to think badly of themselves. But I think a pure understanding of, of who we are is that God made good creations, but because of sin, we tend to walk away from God. And I think just looking at the reality of our world, sin is obvious. Um, we're supposed to love God and love neighbor. And sin creates barriers in those relationships, how we treat God, how we treat one another. That's so clear. I mean, I just have to flip on Twitter to see how people are treating one another, you know, or Facebook and see sin. And so the reality is, is to help people be honest about their sin. We don't want to tell people they're awful because they're sinners because we all sin, but that to be honest with our sin and then try to um, change our hearts and our minds and our lifestyles. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know, I, I definitely agree. That was something I encountered growing up in the church as well. I think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I grew up in North Dallas, which is a lot of really big churches, a lot of Christians, mm -hmm. and a lot of the churches talked about sin. And so I, I, it kind of felt like the Methodist denomination, the church that I grew up in and the churches in the area of that type kind of thought people we're being a little bit different about it because we feel like other people might be hammering it in, in a way that is pushing people away. So I definitely mm -hmm. see that it's kind of a classic, um, got to find that balance between right. you're a terrible human being and <laughs> think that you never make a mistake. Right. Right. So, I mean, one thing I've encountered though, in campus ministry, in my own life with my friends, in my age group, um, you mentioned before, that an obstacle that people might encounter in their relationship with God is the perception of a wrathful God, an angry God. Mm -hmm. um, I would definitely agree with that. And one that I would add to it is a disappointed God, mm -hmm. especially among people that are already Christian, that are struggling with finding ways to go deeper in their faith, that have acknowledgement of sin, or at least even if they don't label it as sin, that there's things that are wrong that they don't know how to fix. Right, um, and they they don't know how to realign themselves or adjust to things. They just know something's just not quite right. So my question for you would be, how do we combat the shame that we feel when we approach what we perceive as a disappointing God? Mm -hmm. I I think that there's there's several. This you know I'm always approaching things that, from a multifaceted perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think there's one element that you mentioned that. We should never shame people because of who sin, who, who are struggling with something because they don't understand, right? So first of all, shame, God is not a shaming God. Uh, in fact, God took the shame of sin on God's self rather than us having to deal with the shame of it. Now that doesn't lead us to cheap grace where we get to do whatever we want. 
but I, I really I, I liked what you said in in, in the sense of um, there are some people who are just struggling in their relationship with God and they don't understand, right? And they don't understand. And I don't I don't think God, you know, when you look at Jesus, he would encounter three groups of people. There were the crowds whom he had compassion on, and they were the people who just didn't know. They were interested. They wanted to go in their faith, but they didn't know. There were the disciples who he was teaching, and he often was frustrated with them. And then there were the religious elites, if you will, who should have known better that he was outright angry with. And I think we can have those kind of categories when we think about sin. There's people who are struggling, and they don't really understand. They don't really get it. And, you know, they're trying to do their best. I don't think God's disappointed or angry with that, right? But then there's those of us who have committed our life to Christ, and we do things that we know better, right? We know that there are certain acts that we should not be doing, and we choose to do them anyways. I do think that God has some disappointment and frustration there, more there than the person who says, well, I don't even really know if what I'm doing is a sin. But if I say, you know, as a, as a person who has a pretty long history as a Christian myself, you know, I know that. Let's say I want to tell a little white lie to get the salesperson to get off the phone, right? I know that that's not right. That's just a small example. And that's probably a sin. And that's not okay for me to do that versus someone who, who may not have an understanding. And then I think that the worst category are the people who use religion as a weapon and sin as a weapon against mm. people, which is what the Pharisees were doing, right? You're not pure enough. You're not holy enough to be a part of this. Jesus always went to people where they were and then helped them to go and, and grow in their relationship versus using it as a hammer to say, you have to meet this bar or standard before you can even come in the door. Am I, am what I'm, am, is what I'm saying making sense or is it completely off the wall? No, I think that makes sense. Uh, I definitely think so. So as we kind of approach uh, approach God in prayer, what does that look like tangibly for us? Uh, uh, I, I agree with all the things you're saying. I just want to make sure we're grounding it to a place mm-hmm. where it's useful for us as well. Um, when we start off a prayer with, Hey God, and we go through <laughs> the adoration, God, you're great. All this stuff. And then what do we say? Like, do we, how do we, what do we say to ourselves? Um, how do we remind ourselves? Is there scripture? Is there something that we can, a mantra of some sort, is there something we can use so that we're being completely open and honest with God yeah. in terms of confession and acknowledgement of where we're at? Of course, Scripture is a great place. There's a ton of good confessions in Scripture if you just search confession. And a ton of good confession and pardon, like in First uh, John where it says, if anyone confesses their sins, they will receive that forgiveness. And I love that line. And also where Jesus says... Um, you know, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that proves God's love toward us, which is part of our community liturgy. And I love that. Yeah, I think that the most important thing about prayer is an honesty and a vulnerability, right? And an openness to go to God and just lay your heart bare, which is so hard for us because if we open our hearts and we're vulnerable, that's when we get wounded. And then we're, we, we can be afraid. But God is the one person we can go to and just lay ourselves bare. And so I think when that's the most important element to this. So as you think about going through the different stages between sharing your love with God, confessing your sins, sharing your thankfulness, and asking for what you need, um, to just lay it all, lay it bare, lay it real, lay it just like Joseph did. You know, he didn't ignore the fact that he had some really rough times. I mean, if we look at the lyrics, 
uh, you know, sins and grief in one line. Um, oh, what needless pain we bear. Oh, the, what peace we often for it. What needless pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. He talks about trials and temp- temptations. He talks about sorrows. Like he's going to God in, in his openness and vulnerability with everything that he has. And, and so I think that's a big part of it. Um, I would look at the patterns of prayer. The Lord's prayer is a great example. You don't have to pray it specifically, but it starts out our father who art in heaven, how will it be thy name? Or, you know, that's, that's sharing adoration, right? Thy kingdom, that will be done. Thy, thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's saying we, not my will, but your will. Give us this day our daily bread. That's asking for our needs, both physical and spiritual, because Jesus calls himself the bread of life. Um, Forgive us of our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Confession that we talked about. You know, not only do we need to ask God for forgiveness, we need to ask other people for forgiveness and forgive them. And then lead us not into temptation to deliver us from evil is is kind of trusting our our future to God to say, God, no matter what happens, I know that you're, you've got my back. So you don't have to pray formally, but those kind of prayers in scripture and those common prayers can kind of help guide our, our conversation. That's great. That's, that's really deep. I think using the Lord's prayer as an example to kind of dive into what it can look like. Mm-hmm. So I guess my next question would be, do you think that an acknowledgement part of do you think that acknowledgement of your emotion and where you're at in your relationship with god is a significant part of confession or do you think that that is do you think that's something that has a place in developing an intimate prayer life i definitely has a place in prayer life i'm not sure about confession um i really have to chew on that thought but yeah, being honest with God about where you are and your emotions. I mean, you mentioned lamentations, right? I mean, if you you read lamentations, you've read some of the Psalms, which are laments. Uh, they, you know, these are people being brutally honest with God in their emotion, in their rawness, and absolutely needs to be a part. With, you know, I think also some some respect to who God is. But if you are upset because you lost a, a loved one. Or you're upset because you lost a job, you know, it's okay to go and share that upset with God. Now, God may push back at you and, and say, you know, what did you do to put yourself in the situation a little bit? But, um, but yeah, I think that honesty, just don't expect God not to be honest back to you is what I'm saying. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> well, I'm just, I, the reason I ask is mostly because I'm thinking we, we've, we've talked about a system, Acts, and used mm-hmm. even examples from the Bible, the Lord's Prayer, as a model for us if we don't feel like we know what to pray about. But within that, how do we make that less robotic and more about developing honesty with God and turning it more and more from something that we're formulaically doing into something that we're opening up a conversation? Like, let Mm -hmm. that be a starting point, but how do we then turn it into something where we don't need that system because we're just praying uh, from our hearts? We have the words now. Exactly. I think most of us can have a conversation with our friend. I think, do we go back? Did we just circle back to the beginning? Right. Uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> what a friend we have in Jesus. Like, I, I feel like if I call you on the phone, I don't have a problem having a conversation with you. Right. And if we start to get the mindset that, so we've got kind of the, I, I think about math, right? A lot of times in math, you learn how to do something and then they tell you, okay, that we don't really actually do it that way. That was just an example to get you here. Right. And into a, a more advanced 
concept. And I think that's what we're kind of talking about. You kind of learn these baby steps and then you get back to the advanced one, which turns out to be that deep as a, if we can really think of God as a friend and have a conversation with God as we would one of our friends and want a relationship with God, maybe, maybe it's part of it's the, the desire too of, I need to want to have a relationship with God so much so that he's a friend of mine. Right. And, and, and maybe we're reluctant to do that often. I don't know that because if we, if we have that kind of intimacy with God, things about our life are going to change. And I don't always want to give up control. And I think that if I had where I truly felt Jesus is a friend, I might have to give up some control. That's, I think that's the significant thing for us to examine within ourselves. That's really powerful. Are we, are we talking like we, we, are we talking like we want it, but acting in a different way in terms mm-hmm. of opening ourselves up to intimacy? Do we view it as something that we actually have access to? Because I agree, there might be sometimes where the case is yes, and we're just not tapping into it. Mm-hmm. That is a, a significant question for reflection. I got to chew on that in my own, my own life. I mean, that's, that's powerful, David. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's one of the reasons that people are reluctant to have a deep relationship with God, because they know that there's things about their life they have to change. And they know they have to trust God. <sighs> that's some good stuff. Oh, man. Wow. I'm glad I'm that, speaking that to the you're in the conversation. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I mean... Uh, this is totally different podcast, by the way. <laughs> what we recorded, yeah, we didn't talk about this kind of stuff at all yesterday. Oh man, this is good. Oh man, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that our will and our, you know, my older brother, he's a he's a Baptist youth pastor, and uh, he he uh, long time ago he he told me, you know, we have free will as we become a Christian, we replace free will with God's will. And, and that's true. It's, the deeper relationship we have, the more we replace what we want to do with what God wants. I just realized that I'm sitting here nodding and no one can hear that because this is a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should. And Austin nods. And uh, yeah, we just need the narrator. And Austin nods. Uh, we need someone with more, more of a narrating voice than me doing that. But okay. Well, thank you for that, David. Well, uh, is there any other thoughts that you have about this? Otherwise, we'll wrap it up. I think I think that covers it. I, I, you know, go. I guess I guess the sum is we need to start thinking about Jesus as a friend. Learn some basics of prayer, like Acts, and look at the Lord's Prayer. But ultimately, come back to that realization of intimacy, like and let as Jesus as a friend, and truly let go. Yeah, that's great. Thank goodness we had a pastor on the podcast. Well, as as a worship leader, I would also uh, encourage y'all to check out uh, Chandler Moore is his name. There's a guy that is a worship leader that I think is doing an amazing job of portraying in worship music recently uh, this kind of sentiment. He has a song called What a Friend that is literally just a, a new arrangement, a gospel arrangement of uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Um he did this amazing thing with Maverick City Music called Communion that is about intimacy with God on a friendship level. Um, so if you feel like there's anything you you need, if you need some musical help to understand this and to grasp this a little bit, some encouragement, then that's something I'd offer to you because it's been really good for me as we prepared for this. Um, yeah. David, any closing thoughts or words or thanks or anything? No, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed getting on and, and talking about this with you and I think on 
Thursday of this week or whenever it comes out, we'll we'll have some uh, talk about some fun outdoor stuff with Oscar and Angela Gallardo, uh, who are who are friends of ours and uh, really outdoor specialists. So um, that should be good. Some things you can do during pandemic. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah. So we'll we'll plan to release that on Friday. We'll be recording on Thursday, and then hopefully it'll be out on Friday. So. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your time. Uh, can't wait to see you next time on this whole podcasting thing. Uh, hopefully next time we'll be able to have Trevor as well and we'll have Oscar and Angela. It'll be a good time. Thanks so much. Have a great day.